guys. Welcome back to Gaming Trend Podcast. This is your host, Erica. And this is your Halloween party recovering, John. How did you spend your Halloween, man? Uh, I dressed up as Silent Bob. I went to my normal bar that's finally open, only to find out that they only are open till 11 because they don't have a kitchen. So that's the rule. As long as you have a plate of fries in front of you and a drink, you're safe from the COVID. Okay. So, but the other bar we went to, after, me and my friends went to after that at 11, it has a kitchen. But they closed at nine, but they can still stay open till two. And I won, and I won the costume contest, second place. They, I got a bar tab. Yeah, I used up like ninety eight percent of that bar tab. <laughs> oh my god! Ah, uh, so how was your Halloween? <laughs> my Halloween was pretty low key. Uh, we turned off all the lights so that no one would come bother us. Because we don't want little children spreading germs. We stayed home, and today, or yesterday, was our cheat day. So we ate pizza, and I drank wine, and I personally had, like, a whole bunch of chocolate and candy. And we watched Halloween 3 through 6, and then Halloween H2O, and then Halloween Resurrection. Wow. Yeah, we started around 12 in the afternoon and then went till pretty late. See, I was pretty disappointed. There were no, I had the lights on and no trick or treaters were going around at all. And I was so upset because I practiced my slingshot skills for nothing. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, it was pretty quiet. And then all of a sudden, um, our camera alarms went off and we saw a herd of like at least 50 kids. They were all together, and then they started going around the houses in the area. And I'm just like, why are there so many all together? It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Oh, that's nothing for me being an 80s baby. <laughs> <laughs> that's what normally we went roving packs. I'm like, okay, cool, reach the cul-de-sac, found out! And then go attack every single house. And of course, there's always that one house you go to that has the bowl just sitting outside, the sign says, please take one. Yeah, I'm not proud of it. Uh, me and my friend, I, well, we poured, I poured half the candy in my bag, half the candy in his. Keep in mind, we're 10. He took the bowl. <laughs> that is absolutely <laughs> horrible. Uh, but you know what? Let's go ahead and get into our episode. This week, we are talking about controversial video games. And many of these games are actually responsible for creating the Entertainment Software Rating Board, short ESRB. And for those who don't know what ESRB is, it uh, it is the people who make the ratings for games. So E for everyone, M for mature, all that good stuff. So these are the good games that uh, created that. And, they used, and what's really funny is before the ESRB, there was a rating system that individual developers did. But there was nothing unifying them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they would just put, like, warning, this and that. Or they have, like, thermometers all set up. Like, here, it's this, this it has this much gore. It has this, it has no nudity. But it has a random foot flopping around. You know, stuff like that. Then you go to Doom, where it's like, it's good. Well, let's go ahead and get into Game On. Game On. So the first one we will talk about is Night Trap. This is the inspiration of this episode. I was going to see if we can make a whole episode about it, but I don't I don't 
think that would be possible. I mean, we could. As long as we put a disclaimer ahead of it, we should be fine. Because I own the game. So for those of you who don't know what Night Trap is, it is an interactive movie video game created by Digital Pictures and originally released by Sega for the Sega CD in 1992. The game is presented primarily through the use of full motion video, FMV, In Night Trap, the player takes the role of a special agent tasked to watch over teenage girls having a sleepover, visiting a house which, unbeknownst to them, is full of danger. The player watches live surveillance footage of the house and triggers traps to capture anyone seen endangering the girls. The player can freely switch their view between different cameras to keep overwatch the girls and eavesdrop on conversations to follow the story and listen for clues. The game received mixed reviews. Critics praised the game's B-movie-esque quality, warped humor, and smooth video animation, but criticized the shallow gameplay. The title is particularly notable for being one of the most principal subjects of 1993, United States Senate Committee hearing on violent video games, along with Mortal Kombat. Night Trap was cited during the hearing as promoting gratuitous violence and sexual aggression against women, promoting toy retailers Toys R Us and KB Toys to pull the game from shelves that December, and Sega to cease its production entirely the following month. The Senate hearing eventually led to the creation of the Entertainment Software Rating Board, ESRB, the North American video game rating board still used today. After the controversy subsided, Night Trap was re-released and ported to other consoles. These later ports received more harsh reviews due to the uh, aging appeal of full motion video as a game medium. Night Trap was re-released in 2017, commemorating its 25th anniversary. There was a documentary on Netflix, and it talked about pretty much, like, the history of games and everything, and Night Trap was on there. I was like, oh my god, this is amazing, this game is insane. Uh, They were originally making the game for Hasbro, and it started costing too much money, the directions were going a little crazy, so they just dropped out. And then, later on, Sega came in and said, hey, do you want your video game to be with us? And that's how it came out. It was uh, pretty interesting because after the ratings came out and they marked it mature, uh, the game started selling like crazy because what kind of kid is, I mean, come on, you know what I'm saying? That's like, don't do drugs or, you know, don't do bad things in school. Of course, kids are going to be like, you can't tell me what to do. You're not my mom. It's horrible gameplay. I'm just going to put it that way right there. I have the Sega CD. I have the game stand. It's a two-disc set. And if you have a 32X, there's a version for it that uses a 32X cartridge, which actually plays a lot better than just the straight CDs. And yeah, my copies don't have the ESRB rating on them. That's pretty cool. It, it's kind of like the way to play it is, you know when you're driving down Texas freeways, you have to know what's at the exits before you exit? Yes. Same concept. Like, okay, we're going to go over here. Oh, the guy's going to be walking in that room. Quick, hit the button now. Oh, I'm half a second too late. Oh, he killed her. Yes, yes. Uh, no, it's just very interesting how the villains were created and how they started as one thing molded into another and how they weren't trying to be too scary, so they had to unscary it. And it was like this weird thing happening, the whole video game. And it's just funny how we've gone from that creating, you know, the ESRB to the video games we have now. Like, we could play this game and there's nothing wrong with it, right? It's just weird and not that great. My generation, like, we grew up with Terminator and seeing a metallic man ripping people's arms off and everything else, which nowadays we considered PG. Yeah, 
essentially. We're going to go a little more worse into the controversy here with uh, Custer's Revenge. It's a se- adult sex video game produced by Mystique for the Atari 2600. First released in, on September 23rd, 1982. The game gained significant notoriety due to its goal being to rape a North Native American woman. The titular player character is based on famous American Civil War commander General George Armstrong Custer, who is most well known for his major defeat at the Battle of Little Bighorn. Following the North American video game crash of 1983, Mystique was unable to stay in business. As a result, many of Mystique's intellectual properties, including Custer's Revenge, were sold off to the adult video game company Playaround. Under the ownership of Playaround, Custer's Revenge was rebranded as Westward Ho and given slight modifications to its original gameplay. These alterations include simple aesthetic changes, such as the darkening in color of the Native American woman's skin tone. Playaround also made a version of Custer's Revenge named General Retreat. Yes, by no surprise that this game received negative reviews. Yeah, uh... I mean, it's just insane, right? I I mean, who made this and thought this would be a great game? Welcome to the days before the video game crash of 1983. Looking here on eBay, you can buy it. I'm sure you can. For $200. Really? $200? Or you can get one that's still sealed. Sealed complete in box for uh, $700. That's insane. I mean, essentially, <laughs> what the game is, is just all pixels, right? I mean, we're talking about basic pixels. And it is, I'm guessing, a cowboy in a hat, naked, and then side-scrolling, finding a Native American woman, and then taking, raping her. I mean, there's no better way to say it. I mean, it's crude, immensely i i just don't oh (laughs) i'm lost for words (laughs) gotta love the atari era they they, they, mm, because uh damn (laughs) (laughs) people bought the game which is shocking like i say people bought the you know how many people how many copies are sold 80,000 copies. That is insane. There's barely any gameplay. I mean, it's just, like, raping Native American women. I mean, that's that's it. Even with these crude crude graphics I'm looking at, it's like, if they didn't actually, like, do the hair in black, it really looked like a duck. Yeah, no, really, I mean, the graphics are legit, like, pixels like that is all that it is but even just being pixels you can tell what's going on it's just i would be so embarrassed to release a game like that and i mean luckily we don't see games quite like that (laughs) i mean there are games that have an element of that in them but not the whole game you know not not just as blatant as this 
Yes. Uh, let's go into something with a little, you know, a little lighter. <laughs> a little lighter, okay? Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat! <laughs> do, 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 do. It's an American media franchise centered on a series of video games, originally developed by Midway Games in 1992. The development of the first game was originally based on an idea that Ed Boon and John Tobias had of making video games starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. But uh, as that idea fell through, a fantasy-themed fighting game was created instead. Nonetheless, playing homage to him with nutcracking movie star Johnny Cage, whose initials and personal style echo Van Damme's. Mortal Kombat was the first ever fighting game to introduce a secret fighter, reached if the player fulfilled a set of requirements. The original game has spawned many sequels and spinoffs consisting of several action-adventure games, as well as a comic book series and a card game. Film produced Lawrence Kasanoff licensed the rights to the game in the early 1990s and produced the first hit film ever made from a video game. Lawrence also produced the second film animated TV series, live action TV series films, the first 1 million platinum selling album, and a live action tour. Mortal Kombat has become one of the most successful fighting franchises in the history of video games and one of the highest grossing media franchises of all time. The series has a reputation of high levels of graphic violence, including, most notably, its fatalities, which are, in case you've been living under a rock, <laughs> Finishing moves, allowing their player to finish off their defeated opponent. Controversies surrounding Mortal Kombat, in part, led to the creation of ESRB, Video Game Rating System. Early games in this series were also noted for their realistic digitized sprites and an extensive use of palette swapping to create new characters. Following Midway's bankruptcy, the Mortal Kombat development team was acquired by Warner Brothers Entertainment and turned into NetherRealm Studios. I remember that during the during the console wars between the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis. A couple of new things, Nintendo had to change a few things for them to put it on their Super Nintendo. One of them was no longer they were called fatalities. They were finishing moves. Yet with the Sega, you can type in another code and they would add more blood. That is awesome. I loved playing Mortal Kombat when I was a kid. Uh, we used to have something called roller rinks back in my day. <laughs> and we had arcades in our roller rinks. And Mortal Kombat was one of those games. Uh, so I remember playing those games with my siblings, random people, uh, and enjoying those fatalities. Ah, uh, yes. But if you played it on the Super Nintendo, though, it wasn't blood that got knocked out of them. It was, they they changed the color to blue, and it would sweat. Even when they got speared through the chest with a fatality, he just sweated it off. So, I have a Super Nintendo copy, but mine's normal. They say fatalities, and uh, it's blood. You might have one of the early versions of it, then. I might have. Because they did it for a little bit, but not much. Nintendo's desperately trying to keep their family friendly. It is It is one of the great classics. They're still making the games today. The early games were almost impossible to really, really play unless you knew all the codes. <sighs> yeah, this is why I just stuck with Street Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Street Fighter is way easier. <laughs> I do, okay. I guess we should get into the other game that's controversial. And yes, this one's pretty blatant as well. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. We're going to talk about Leisure Suit Larry. 
in the land of the lounge lizards. Try to say that fast five times. Oh, hell no. Uh, but the game story follows its player character of a middle-aged male virgin named Larry Laffer as he desperately tries to get lucky in the fictional American city of Lost Wages. Land of the Lounge Lizards establishes several elements which recur in the later Leisure Suit Larry games, including Larry's campy attire, perpetual bad luck with women, and penchant for double entendres. The game's overall plot and basic structure follow that of soft porn adventure, Sierra's own 1981 Apple II text adventure that did not feature Larry. Despite a lack of advertising, the game was a sleeper hit in a commercial and critical success. It was followed by a long series of sequels and spin-offs over decades, beginning with Leader Suit Larry Goes Looking for Love in Several Wrong Places from 1988. A second high-definition remake titled Leisure Suit Larry Reloaded was developed by Infusion Interactive working with Leader Suit Larry creator Al Lowe and published by Replay Games in 2013. <laughs> so this game is not as bad as the other one that was mentioned earlier, but the whole game, you're just trying to find some ass. Essentially. Um, yeah, I remember playing this whenever I was a kid. You know, my friend had it uh, for his, I don't remember what the hell kind of computer. This thing was running on old three and a half inch floppy disks. He had five disks to play this game. Either way, he goes to the beach, meets a girl, and next thing you know... He hops up and pulls literally a crab out of his shorts. <laughs> <laughs> there are some good moments in it. I mean, lots of comedy, the hot tub mm -hmm. scenes. I mean, yes. it it is skeevy, hundred percent. But it, it does have some comedy in it. It's some tiny endearing qualities, if if I may <laughs> say so. <laughs> I'm amazed this game has actually still. Thank God, the other, Custer's Revenge kind of died back in the 80s. But this one just kept going. It kept going, and it got a remake. And that remake was, they actually did a fairly good job on updating the graphics. Uh. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Games God. like this reminds me of, like, you remember Black Sheep, the website, where, we, where you would play all those weird-ass games? Or is that, I guess, after your generation? After my generation. Okay, yeah. No, there was, like, this website called, like, Black Sheep Games or something. And it would just be, like, all these weird, weird-ass adult video games that they would say it. Uh, just memories. Memories. And, like, with Leisure Suit Larry and how he's always giving gifts to the women that turn him down, we're just going to go up and to shut up and take my money. Shut up and take my money. Well, here's something that I never thought I would actually see. Harley Davidson has announced a new electric bicycle. Harley Davidson's first foray into the e-bike market is the Serial One, a sleek piece, two-wheeled machinery that will be available March 2021. It has fat white tires, a relatively thin black frame, brown leather seat, light-up logos, and a flexible brown chain running from the pedals to the back wheel. Why, Harley Davidson, Why? I actually find this very beautiful. A lot of people are switching to biking. Um, I mean, I know gas prices aren't that bad right now, but people do it if there's, you know, a short commute time. People do it to stay healthy. New Year's resolutions, that kind of thing. I, I know a couple of people who bike to work and surroundings if it's close by. So I like this. I like that they're trying to go a little eco-friendly with everything. 
Yeah, it's not really that eco-friendly if you think about it from a logistics point of view. From whose point of view? A logistics point of view. Okay, how so? Well, you gotta think about it. the lithium that is that is mined for the batteries um, has to be shipped over from China. So you have the massive carbon footprint of those ships burning God knows whatever <laughs> to drop it off over here, along with the steel smelting and the rubber. In the end... It makes you feel good. Versus driving a car, I would think that a bicycle would be much better. Oh, yeah. But like I said, electric, electric bikes, even like, grand, like the hybrid I drive, a regular gas-burning car produces less of a carbon footprint than like hybrid or a full electric. <laughs> I don't I don't think I would believe that statement. Oh, I yeah, mean... Because all the bulk of it's in the beginning. All the carbon footprinting of, of bringing all that lift that... Right, I un- I understand that, but I mean that's just shipping in goods. There's other goods on that shipment that are coming in. I mean that's like saying our goods that like our Sony PlayStation has like a huge like <laughs> because it's coming in on a cargo ship. Mm. Oh, we will agree to disagree, to disagree. on that good sir. Yeah. <laughs> a thing that I found the other day which is completely adorable it is an Untitled Goose 3D printed magnetic statue. So for anyone who hasn't played Untitled Goose game uh, it's about a goose that wanders around in the gardens and in the town of the surrounding area and steals things pretty much and creates chaos. As goose do. Those things are evil evil creatures. You can get a 9 inch one or a 14 inch one either for $30 or $45. Again they are super duper adorable and their little beaks are magnetic. So you can stick a bell, scissors a screwdriver, a wrench stuff like that you get in the video game onto its little beak and it stays. So essentially you're making this this duck a murderer. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this duck is absolutely cute. I see pictures of people hiding him in the garden with a pair of shears. I mean, this thing, I would buy it, put a ribbon on it. I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. And $30 or $45 for the bigger one is not that bad of a price. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I'd pay 30 bucks for a murder goose. The person that is making this, it is on Etsy. Their name is Nihilist Grandma, <laughs> which is N-I-H-I-L-I-S-T Grandma. It has over 317 reviews, uh, all five stars. So I think that's a something. And yet not a single one of them talks about this thing being a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> now, while I believe geese are completely adorable, and you find them to be the devil incarnate... Let's talk about some crazier things that have happened this week. Let's go into Nani. Nani? Oreo has built an asteroid-proof vault to protect its cookies. For who? I, I don't know. I do not know. <laughs> oh, my God. The planet is unlikely to be hit by an asteroid on November 2nd, but in the rare case that giant rocks do crash into our homeworld and Earth becomes a barren wasteland with few survivors, those who remain will still be able to look forward to one thing, enjoying cookies. Nabisco has built an asteroid-proof vault in the permafrost of Norway to keep that iconic cookie and its recipes safe. I mean, that sounds a little crazy, right? So let's see here. Humanity gets obliterated. Aliens stop on by. They find this vault, cut into it, and find the recipe for 
a way to make the Oreo cookie with nothing that's left. Supposedly, Asteroid 2018 VP1 is going to be close to Earth November 2nd, which is, uh, I guess, today, if you're hearing this. NASA says there is a little chance it will actually strike the planet. Uh, though at even 0.41% odds, that feels a lot closer than we'd like, Nabisco says. And if you're not listening to this tomorrow, we know what happened. Earth gets hit, pulverized into a bunch of pieces like the Death Star blowing up. But it's okay. There's a vault that has cookies. <laughs> we need to go to Norway. Like, if we survive, we have to, like, go hike to Norway. <laughs> and then just survive on Oreos. <laughs> I will die. We can do why? We can't just survive on Oreos. Why? We need Twinkies too. <laughs> <laughs> no, can't really say much. There's like seed there's like two or three seed vaults around the Okay, but those right are now. those are for actual like real life purposes. <laughs> that's a, that's actually for rehabilitating our planet, you know, keeping actual things alive. Not for cookie recipes. <laughs> there's other things in there. There's drugs or some kind of like, oh my gosh, what are those Jimmy people Hoffa's called? Jimmy Hoffa's body. No, what are those people called? Is it Templars? I think I think they're they're hiding some like shit that the Templars gave them or something. Yeah, like the Ark of the Covenant. It's in a safe place with top people. <laughs> we need to get Nick Cage out here and break into the Oreo vault. <laughs> that we're going Indiana. Oh no, Grant Nick Cage. That would make sense. <laughs> Indiana Jones wouldn't be wouldn't go for that. He'll do anything for a movie role. If we just say it's a movie, he'll do it. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but have you ever like traveled and used apps like Airbnb, HomeAway, stuff like that, stayed in people's houses instead of a hotel? No, I do normal stuff like stay at a Hilton. Okay, well, Mr. Richie McRichrich. <laughs> oh no, I don't. I'm not Mr. McMurchy Richrich. I hunt for savings. Most of the times, you can find really great deals at Airbnb, HomeAway, stuff like that. But you hear these horror stories of clients coming in, destroying toilets and the pipelines, causing $10,000 in damage to houses, people renting houses, having crazy, sexy, wild parties. Where are these at? Not here. I mean, we weren't invited. Dang it. There is a new app that counts guests' phones to prevent Airbnb party house problem. An app from Silicon Valley startup is using new technology to count the amount of people in a home, and it is offering its services to help. Airbnb hosts protects their short-term rentals from parties that have been a blight on the industry as Airbnb prepares to go public. Party Squasher uses a sensor that can be hidden in host homes. The device connects to a cloud service to passively count mobile devices in and around a home. Even if they are not connected to Wi-Fi, the deliverer data on the number of mobile devices, i.e. people at a property. Now, what constitutes a party? Like three, four, ten? No, I think, I think it would be maybe over eight people. The app is created by Blue Zoo Inc., a Silicon Valley-based startup. Uh, yeah, I would say over eight people. I mean, but you have to let the homeowners know, like, what is going on. I've seen, and again, I mean, there's horror stories on both sides, like people finding yeah. cameras in the shower, all this other stuff, but 
specifically coming from good Airbnb hosts, you know, that do everything right. It's really sad to see these stories of people just coming in and trashing everything. Uh, There's this one story where people said there was two adults, you know, staying in this house, right? And you're not allowed to have cameras in most of the inside part of the house, I believe, but you can have them wherever outside. And as soon as the hosts left, you know, gave the people the keys and everything, tons of people started entering the house and they had the camera shots and everything. And there was, again, on the outside of the porch, there were screenshots of at least 20 people and they had, you know, bags, pillows, blankets. They were all about to come in and just sleep over. And the host called the person that second and said, get out of my house right now. You have like 50 people there. That is not happening. We're calling the police. And everyone left. I don't think they were sleeping. Something was about to happen with the amount of people that were going into that house. It's just insane. And it's a great thing for people who are just trying to make some extra money on the side and want to protect their house. On the flip side, being devil's advocate here, what is the software collecting? Because I know some people will be coming up and saying that there's a privacy concern. Like, will it get their phone numbers, IP addresses, has it store it, stuff like that. But... All in all, this is a good idea. Sounds good. You have never been to a convention after party <laughs> in a hotel. Okay, well, <laughs> I mean, I've I've been to a hotel. I've stayed in a hotel room with like uh three six at least ten people in one room because there was like three that. people. Yeah, it was. It smelled. It smelled after a couple days, and it was like they did not clean up after themselves. And it was. It was. It was interesting. It was very interesting. You know, you're sleeping in a bed with two other people, and it's not the nice kind of sleeping in the bed with two people situation. It's like, can I just get some extra room here, please? Like, please move. <laughs> I never have that problem. Yes, I understand that. Yeah, I know. Everywhere you go, you get your own bed. Uh, I usually do that. But again, uh, it was not supposed to be that crowded. Oh, it no, was like not. The con that, con that we usually go to, I usually have like three, three or four people sleeping in my room. Someone's got to snuggle up next to me, and I'm fine with that. There's not two other people in the bed, though. It's just one. And, it, and it's, you know, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's willing. It's willing. <laughs> Apparently now, if you're, you know how when they have those folding phones that I think Samsung brought out, where you fold it in half, has a folding screen? Yes, the ones that are almost like flip phones, but the screen goes all the way up and down. Yes. Well, there's a company called TCL. They have made their screen a rollable screen. It's the same form factor as a standard cell phone. But you can slide it out instead of having the, cre- having the crease in the middle. When you first described this to me, for some reason I was thinking it was like kind of like a sidekick. <laughs> Where it was like you flipped out the cordy board and like the top was the screen and everything like that. And I mean, it's similar to that, but it slides within itself. Yes. Uh, it's... It's, it's, you have to see it. Like, you, there's no way to explain it verbally. It tucks in itself. The screen tucks itself in. And it is the weirdest thing to see when it's being done. Think of the Galaxy Fold. But instead of, like I said, folding it, we have the crease in the screen in the middle. Or if you had to be unlucky in one of the really northern states, like North and South Dakota, where the temperature gets down below freezing. Yeah, the screen will snap in half. Yes. 
with this one, it's just, you grab it and you pull the two halves apart and the screen unravels, unrolls itself from one side. I don't know. I just think, like, if you're angry and then you try to slam the phone, I think, like, there would, I don't know, like, it would break or something. Just how it visually unfolds itself, I, my, my brain can't, I can't. I don't know how it's happening. It's like magic, and it's confusing me. They're witches. Yes, they are. But I think this thing will just be a hair less fragile than the new iPhone 12. It looks very fragile. I wouldn't trust myself with it. I couldn't do it. I don't trust myself with the iPhone 12. You look at the screen. You breathe on the screen wrong. It shatters. Pouring over the photos from CNET.com, where they have all the leaked photos on there. The design of this TCL's concept phone appears to use one continuous display with curved screens on either side. Between the center of the phone and the dual-facing front camera along the right side, there's a break in the chassis where you can pull the two sides apart to expose the surplus screen. It's much like sliding back the sides of your dining room table and adding a leaf to seat more guests. Okay, there. You described it perfectly. Uh, Grant, it's not exactly clear how the mechanism inside would work, but our guess is that one portion of the flexible display bends or wraps behind the other. And yeah, Grant, this would probably make the phone a little more thicker too, but still. And it's interesting because even when you start to pull it out, it doesn't look rolled up. It still looks continuous and then when you start to slide it back in again the the screen picture is not interrupted it just you can see it sliding in but the picture is uninterrupted yes it's amazing it's so cool i mean i'm not gonna own this phone because i would break it i just know it but i want to see someone own it so i could just like oh let me see and then give back to them oh i'm sure we'll probably see a bunch of these things pop up and the only thing that really worries me is like how it the this the screen connects to the logic board like is there gonna be a lot there's you know there's gonna be a lot of flex and breakage right there on that connector there is but we are becoming like the jetsons slowly where are damn flying cars well guys that is our episode thank you for tuning in you can always find me at the raging erica and you can find me at dogfin studios again follow like subscribe on our podcast you can do that anywhere like itunes spotify our her radio google Podcasts, anywhere 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 uh, amazon music we're on there now we're in your phone we're just there follow us you can email us at podcast at gamingtrend.com and in the description of this episode you can find a link to our discord chat we're there we're pretty active we'll catch you guys next week